Hey, this is Kevin. And this is Josh. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we are talking to Kevin O'Brien. He is a commercial director based in Florida, and uh, I actually recently worked with him. I was a gaffer on an Indie Atlantic film in Central Florida, and I got to see firsthand how laid back Kevin is. And it's it's an element that directors need to understand to be able to read the room and the energy the director relays out is how set very well could be well and i think kevin has had an interesting track through his career to where he is now yeah he he got into filmmaking a little later than most um and it gives an interesting perspective on it doesn't really matter when you start or where you start it's just a matter of moving forward so kevin um hey you know, I, I'm Kevin, but we have Kevin uh, as well on the podcast today. I'm glad that you could join us. And um, I'm know. just going to call you O'Brien. That works. <laughs> that works. <laughs> because otherwise, I don't know how every time I say Kevin, I'm going to, oh, shit, I have to clarify who I'm talking to. Yeah, this, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very used to this because when I was growing up um, in high school, especially, there were two or three other Kevins in my grade. And not only in my grade, but we had a lot of the same classes together. So at one point, I was actually one of three Kevins in a class at one point. And my wow. t- my teacher, like day one, was like, what the? F- oh, um, so I can't say your last Please name. Please tell me your teacher said, what the fuck? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I, I would internally, internally, probably. Oh, yeah. internally, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and because, you know, my last name is so easy to say. She, she looked at me and she was like, you're Kevin. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, so, and then the other ones ha- got like their, um, you know, either said like uh, last name last or whatever. Name, so, yeah. but she was like, no, I'm not I've saying Etchamendia. I've never had that problem. There's never a lot of Joshes around. Really? Yeah. Never. I feel like I've known a lot of Joshes, but. We're never all, in the same place. Yeah. All, all in uh, separate locations. Yeah. You mean they're dispersed around There's the one, US? Right, right, right. There, <laughs> there was one time I was on set and there was a Josh that was an AD and we were just kind of like. Hey, and then it was just, you know, we're kind of like, weird. Bye. See you later. <laughs> um, all right. Well, after, after you know, we, every every podcast, we tend to have one random tangent. So that, <laughs> oh, we, just, one, that's it? Just one? That's one. That's the one. We, we got rid of it early. Yeah. Um, so Kevin is a commercial director in the area. Yeah. And um, we recently worked together, actually, um, for the first time. We've networked and been around a lot of the same people, um, said hi a bunch, but actually, Seeing the call sheet come out, and I was like, "Oh, it's it's Kevin." I I'm, yeah, I, I, I was the actually, fourth Kevin. I, yeah, the fourth Kevin. Um, <laughs> I was the gaffer on the project, so it was it was kind of cool to see how you operated on set, and it's um a lot like you are in real life. So you don't you don't have that like alternate um that like alter ego on set, which some people do. I mean, some people can be really relaxed in person, you know, outside of set, and then really really high strung and you know opposite. Um, Sets do that to people. Yeah, well, I'm looking at you. What are you looking at me for? <laughs> I'm looking at you. Oh. But so how am I on set? Super stressed? Not, not stressed. Not no? not stressed, but loud. Holy shit, Josh gets oh, loud on set. I turn into Arlie Ermey. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, because I, I best boyed for him for a while, so. Well, maybe he Ooh, should just listen sh- better <laughs> so he doesn't have to yell at you. <laughs> he yells at everybody. No, yeah. <laughs> I was not immune to it. It's, everybody got no, yelled it's at. It's boot camp on set, man. Uh-huh. That's, that is very true. So It's a 
you know, we're going to get everyone whipped into shape. <laughs> Worked well. <clears throat> it, it, Jack, it Jack and a few of those kids are off in New Orleans right now. So yeah, it, you're taking all the credit, I know. Yeah, I'm uh, going to... Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin, can you give us a little background as to, you know, how you kind of got into, not only, you know, writing, but directing and, and kind of how, you know, your career tra- trajectory ended uh, ended up here? Yeah, uh, actually, I got into it late. Um, I mean, I always loved... Uh, the idea of movies as a kid, but I never knew it was like, a, uh, you know, filmmaking in general was a career option. Um, it's weird. So I didn't really discover filmmaking until I was like uh, late 20s, early 30s. And that's uh, that was at the time I was a creative director at a church and we started we'd use a lot of uh, media pieces and um you know, film clips. And so we'd start doing some original things. And that's where I was able to, that was basically like my film school, <laughs> like, uh, being able to make all my mistakes with a very forgiving audience, uh, and learn what works. And, and right away, I, I loved the idea of, uh, I, don't know, I loved the manipulation that you can do with film, like I, with the, you know, pairing the visuals and the music and the right words and moments. I loved making people feel and move people, um, which is a nicer way to say it than manipulation, but it's all the same thing. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so then I, I, that, uh, really just became a passion for me, uh, making these, uh, short, um, stories, very trying to be as story oriented as possible. Usually there are two or three minutes, um, these short pieces and that, uh, inspired me to start my own company called journey box media, where we, uh, launched in 2011. Uh, we made these short films and we'd sell them online to communicators and pastors and they would use them in their gatherings to kind of center people before they spoke and gather everyone's attention. Um, very, um, intentionally cinematic visuals, um, and sound, you know, I think sound and music are crazy important, um, to, uh, the whole process. So did that for about eight years and, and real throughout that whole time, it was basically a, we collected a, we not collected, we created a library and I say we a lot, but it was me made this library of short films, uh, like 125 of these, uh, and then sold that last summer, uh, to, um, focus specifically on directing. Uh, so that was throughout that whole process. You know, I would, I would, I basically learned the entire, uh, process by doing, having to do all of it myself, you know, uh, early on was, uh, writing, directing, producing, casting, editing, and then the the distribution end as well, website, social, you know, social, all that stuff. Um, realized that I loved the directing and the writing. That was what I felt like I connected with the most. And, uh, as we... As my desire for production value to grow, our budgets grew a little bit on those. So I would, you know, hire DPs, worked with Brandon Hyde and Pete Gill here locally on a bunch of those projects. Um, and uh, that's what that's when I was able to focus a little bit more on directing. And now um, now where I'm when I'm just directing, that's like amazing <laughs> to be able to focus on that specifically and have uh, be hired by a production you know, a production uh, company with an ad agency or just with a client and be able to either write and direct or just specifically direct the spot. That's what I've fallen in love with. 
So the job that we worked on um, yeah. was with uh, Indie Atlantic. They're based out in Lakeland. Were you the writer director or were you just the director? No, writer director. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was able to see the piece. I, I know it's not uh, released to the public yet. Correct. But um, maybe when this podcast comes out, it will be. We'll, I hope we'll so. See. I think we're just waiting on a few uh, last pieces. There's a thing where, with some photos of uh, adoptive families that we're waiting from the actual photos from the agent or from the client. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much done. It's just got to, we need those last few pieces. Go, go ahead and give us a uh, brief on, on the commercial. Yeah. So the, I mean, the idea, the the client wanted, they were looking for, um, of course, a multi, multi-use thing. So uh, the, the main piece is about a two minute uh, spot that's specifically designed to, uh, for their, um, they have these classes called Pride, which takes a, a prospective adoptive or foster family through a class to um, educate them on the needs and the challenges and really prepare them for um, uh, for what's to come. Both adopting and fostering are really, really hard things to do. So, um, And there's there's never really a clear path to it, but they, they do a great job of taking you through that process. So we were, we were supposed to, uh, we were challenged with making a two-minute piece that kind of starts that very first opening uh, orientation class or intro class to uh, to help the parents that are there or prospective parents feel like all the fears and questions like they like like um, that the partner for strong families understands that they have all these questions. Uh, so connecting with them on that level, but also ending on a like empowered like we can do this like you know, we know it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of unforeseen things. Uh, so, so the actual spot is a, um, it's this, uh, young couple who the idea is that they just came back from an orientation or a, an intro class. Uh, and it starts with, um, the, uh, female saying, what if we, they're in their spare bedroom. What if we use a spare bedroom? And basically it's a montage of what if questions. That's really the only dialogue. Only thing spoken throughout is in a different scene. What if this, what if that, what if we paint the house? paint the room this way. What if, so it starts off with practical things and then it goes into like kind of fun fears, like, you know, uh, what if she's allergic to this or what if, you know, so, so we list a bunch of questions, try to take them on serious stuff, emotional stuff, uh, funny stuff. Uh, and then the end, um, and then a few things change, you know, like the number of kids they're getting all of that throughout the process. Uh, and then ends with them, seeing being introduced to the kids to the foster family that they're going to be uh how uh taken care of and um just with a, a very heartwarming kind of welcome home um a voiceover that talks about like there's many there's many questions uh as there's many questions that come with fostering or adopting as there are types of fostering and adoptive parents uh a big thing that they wanted us to know or that they wanted us to uh, uh to comment on is that um, people have a lot of questions about like whether their family will be okay for it. So as whether certain pets are allowed or whether, um, whether there's an issue with same sex couples and any of that. So they want to let everyone to know, like whatever your family is, if you're open to this, like we need you kind of thing. So, yeah, I definitely, I definitely appreciated the, um, little subtle moments of humor. Uh, mixed into the seriousness behind it, um, the one that got me to laugh pretty good. Um, she's she's reading at night, and she and the the husband's like uh, like falling asleep, like barely awake, and she goes, 
what if they're allergic to cats? And he's like, we don't have cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was actually, I mean, and the actors were, they they nailed it. I think yeah, on, the, on the first take and you were like, well, we're going to do one for safety. <laughs> Just, you always got to do but one more. I, I, we got it. Um, you're, the the way you handled set was, um, in my, you know, from my viewpoint as the gaffer was really, um, it, 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 you, you don't yell, you, you don't raise your voice, um, and really, it never really seemed like you changed your mind. You kind of took a second or two to digest what was happening or the situation that we were in in, you know, one of the bedrooms, like, there's nowhere for us to set up a light and also get the camera where we wanted. Um, there's, we had one, two windows, but one was facing a really ugly fence. So we don't want to shoot through the window and see that fence. And, and you just were like, um, you and, um, the DP were kind of just making a few adjustments. And when you stuck to, you kind of stuck to your guns. Um, is that kind of how you kind of found you do things normally now? I mean, throughout all the projects that you did with your past production company, I figured you kind of have found your rhythm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I try to be as prepared as possible for that, for that specific um, project and for the the past uh, few things I've done the past few years. I mean, I've always, for a long time, I've always storyboarded everything before I shoot it. They're terrible drawings, but, um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I showed you any I, of them for, I didn't see it, for I, that <laughs> one specifically, but I mean, it's, it's the crudest stick figures you can imagine. Um, but that's, that's for me. I feel like I'm not like at peace about a project. I can't, I'm like stressed about it until I do the story, until I draw it out. Um, and that gives me fantastic visuals to show the DP and say like this is that's that's the best way to communicate at least that portion because um, I'm also I'm not I'm not a it usually it's not uh, I don't have a most projects I have like one or two maybe three moments within it that like I know this is the shot I want I know this is how I want that part to happen uh, but beyond that I'm. I love collaboration with the DPs. I feel like um, the DPs I've worked with always bring a specific visual or a thought or an angle or whatever, an idea. And so I'm, I'm always well open to those. Uh, but yeah, but once, once I'm on set, I mean, one thing I'm, I'm not a yeller and well, my kids might say it differently. <laughs> um, but I, I am a very uh, kind of calm person throughout life and, um, I'm glad I'm like that on set too. I'm glad I'm kind of the same person in both spots. Um, but that, that's how I've always, that's how I've always directed. I, I think that the calm is what like keeps the creativity going. I want to keep my actors, you know, as loose as possible. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's been the thing that's worked for me. It's interesting that I, I'm always wondering, like, I've only been on my own sets, <laughs> so I don't know of uh, any other way to do it. I haven't seen any other way to do it, but that's what works for me. So, Do you spend, uh, how do you kind of, you know, do it? Do you try to get up to camera and be close to talent? Do you spend some time behind the monitor? Like, how do you kind of, do you mix the two? How do you kind of, you know, yeah, use um, Video Village, I would say? Yeah, I, I like to be as close as possible to uh, the camera the talent, but I uh, it's always helpful to have an actual monitor so I'm not 
I mean, you know, every project's different. Sometimes you have to be over the DP's shoulder and looking at the that monitor, which is not comfortable for anybody. Um, but I, I like to be um, within as close to the action or the actors as possible. Um, and then uh, in between takes, I'll um, sometimes just tell, you know, from my monitor, talk to them about let's change this thing. Let's um, try this different motion. Let's go for this little moment. There's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of like, I'll give a note and then add to that note and then add to that note. And then the fourth time I'm like, just forget everything I said and do what feels right. And there's this kind of cool magic that like between uh, the, the fourth way they do it is not how they did it the first time, but it's also not the way that they've been trying to do these little specific things I've said, but it's like a, a more natural kind of thing. And that's usually the one usually the take that works. Um, but yeah, I, I try to, and, uh, I really like, and, and more intimate things, I'll go up to the actors and talk to them in between. Um, I don't like, there's this, there's this weird thing of like, I mean, actors in such a vulnerable thing. And I try to keep that, my interaction with them as private as possible. Like, I mean, just, <laughs> it's, it's gotta be terrible of, like you're doing a thing, everyone's watching what you're doing, and then to hear your notes and what right. you're doing, what you need to be differently, like yelled from across the room. Like right. just a mat. I mean, well, you know because Josh yells at you <laughs> on set. Not but, a, not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> not, anymore. Not, not anymore. But but I I feel like um, it's like a, a respect. I mean, sometimes it's just like it's just quick and it's an easy like just move this way instead of that, adjust to the left. But if it's I I try to be as respectful as possible with them and their talent and their vulnerability. Yeah, it's interesting that you're actually cognizant of that. I, I actually wouldn't have thought that myself, but I'm also, I don't try to be a director. So um, what other projects have do you have as an example? Uh, I, I know you, you know, you mentioned a feature, um, but you've also, do, you know, you do a wide variety of commercials. Um, what other examples do you have on, you know, like multi-day shoots? I mean, the one that I worked with you was just a single day. Mm -hmm. You went in, we got the job done, um, ended a hundred percent on time. But in terms of like a two or three day project, is there a different way that you approach talking to the actors? Because there's obviously more scenes, more pages, um, more, more locations, more interaction. Is there a different approach to all that? Uh, it's interesting. A lot of the, out of everything I've done, most of the things that have been multi, multi day aren't, uh, I've, it seems a lot of things I've written, especially early on were, little vignettes with lots of different people in different locations is very much like just capturing real, you know, people in real life, not, not documentary style at all. Uh, but, um, trying to kind of hit on as much of humanity as possible within this same moment or the way, the different ways, uh, you know, people experience the same sort of thing. Like there is a, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, piece I did that kind of, takes a different angle like we think of thanksgiving as you know family together around a table uh but there are a lot of people who spend thanksgiving a little bit differently whether it's a kid whose mom is on you know is deployed in the military or uh if it's a uh some workers at a like a retail store that's going to open that day and they're just in their break room or firefighters or whatever so we, we the idea of the thing was just like 
the constant was a table, the same kind of shot on the t- on a table, but the table on each cut, it was just one kind of the same shot, just different rooms, different tables with different people around the ta- room, around the table. So, um, so that was a multi-day shoot, but it involved like each location was different cast, completely different people. So, um, that, that was similar. I mean, the biggest thing with one, with a consistent actor and set of actors over long period of day was the feature for sure. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a, uh, a constant, um, I mean, a lot of conversations beforehand, um, and, uh, constant rewriting either as we're shooting or, um, you know, the day before, uh, you know, the, the night before figuring out what we're shooting the next day, what's changing, um, and trying to get all those pieces in line. I mean, that was, that was a lot because I was also produ- producing at the same time as, as directing it. So do you, when, so in the, I would say commercial and in feature, I mean, how much onus do you put on the script? I mean, do you kind of stay with that or do you kind of see that as a fluid document that, you know, has the ability to easily change? I personally think I want believability is my biggest thing. Like I've, and, and even in the casting process, like my biggest thing is like a gut. Do I believe what this person is saying? Mm-hmm. So most of the time, 90% of the time, I'm comfortable with the essence of what the script is getting across. Um, on the, I mean, on there's a lot of times specifically in the feature that I'm just like we, that we agree together. Um, I'm just cutting my lines, you know, like you get that a point, but do it in a look, do it in a laugh, do it in whatever, um, which are always, I feel like always better. Um, so that happens a lot and I'm always open to that. I mean, there are very few times where I'm like, no, this, these are the word, these these words are important because of this reason or what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. So I'm always open to that. It is a little different with clients. If you have a client involved, because, um, sometimes like with the, uh, strong families partnership for strong families spot we're doing, uh, I'd written that one and they were completely open to, you know, whatever we had, again, I, I don't, I don't know that anything specifically changed on that day, but we were flexible all leading up to it. Uh, but there was one, there were two scenes. One of them was a, um, a line that I, that we weren't kind of happy with as a, as creatives, uh, but they wanted, it was important for them to get bio family, um, for, it was important, f- like as as a phrase, for them to talk about the bio family for the foster kids, and that uh, didn't feel natural. It didn't f- like feel right. It kind of you know, spark you know, it, it just sticks out a little bit. Uh, but we you know, it it was what they needed for their purpose. Right. Uh, then there was also a scene where they were going from like one kid to three kids, um, and it was just kind of this moment of like, what if. There were three kids that were taken in and getting exactly what those lot that line was, was important. Um, and that we spent like 15 minutes maybe on the day. We had already gone through a couple of ideas, but like on the day we were all together kind of like, all right, let's take 15 minutes and figure out. Cause they didn't want to say like, you know, what if we took three kids? Cause that was a little aggressive. Um, what if the, like we, we had to get the essence of it across and still not feel, um, like they're, you know, taking these children from their family. Yeah, that, that I do remember that now she, um, the, the two clients were there or the two reps for, um, the company. And I remember them saying to, to, 
I mean, just openly, but they were talking directly to you saying it's, this line is better than it was, but we still aren't, we still aren't happy with it. Um, what do you think? And they really just kind of put it on you to help them. So was that, how, how long before were you talking to them? Like that, that relationship had already been building. Was that already, you know, a month in uh, the relationship was a month in or was it two days in? Uh, we, we know our relationship with them. That was the first time I had met them in person, but our first call with them was probably three months before two months. It was back in November, maybe even October. Um, so I feel like we've maybe had two phone calls with them. Um, and probably some emails back and forth. Um, but most of their interaction was through Indie Atlantic, was through Katie and through the production company. So that was really the first time we'd, other than the initial like phone call about, uh, actually, yeah, we, I think I only had one phone call with them. It was the very first like conference call, just asking them questions. I kind of had a, a um, built-in trust, I think, with them because my family has adopted twice. We've grown our family through adoption twice. So uh, in the call, I was very knowledgeable and aware and I think um, uh, empathetic to the whole process. I knew, you know, kind of what they're going. I had been through that info informational class before. So like it was a very personal thing for me and they knew that. And I think that gave them a lot of uh, peace and like, you know, comfort in knowing that. I was I was aware of that. And then I think just my um, I think just my like work in general, I I mean, empathy is a huge thing for me. Like that's that's what I've kind of that's the box I've tried to put myself in as a director. As I say that I uh, direct commercials and films that move people toward empathy. And so uh, so I think if anyone goes to my website and they're in the process of hiring me, they know that. I'm going to be sensitive to those kind of things and um, st and but still try to be a real, you know, try to make it as interesting and store, you know, keep them engaged in the story as much as possible. So uh, that was a long answer to your question, but <laughs> it's a good answer, though. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was like those moments are interesting. Uh, where I and those are the moments I think that it's important. That's why. I like the vibe on set being chill is that um, like, I feel like those moments need creativity to be there. Uh, that's something that, you know, we've been working that, that moment trying to figure out that word. And I, th I think the, the line that actually that we went with, I think Claire, the, I think the actor uh, for that scene found that specific line but it was a uh, like what about this what about this what about this and then we kind of landed on something that was kind of morphed out of all of it when you have when you have an actor that's having trouble getting through a moment um how do you kind of deal with that i mean how, how do you kind of work them through an area to where you know <clears throat> they're able to you know break out of that and continue the scene and get past whatever block that they're having in the moment well, I mean, I, th I think a uh, important thing to know to about that is that every actor is so different. Um, right. Some actors, some actor, even just like some actors want to rehearse. Some so people. It's, it's really about it's paying attention specific, to who yeah. they are. Yeah. I think the observation, like not only observation as to how you're working together, but I think 
I I like having those conversations with the actors before. What do you respond to? Hmm. What uh, what helps you get into this sort of thing? And sometimes those um, again, I, I kind of had a relationship with Claire as well. Like we had worked on one or maybe two things prior to that. Uh, but Reggie, that was the first thing I'd worked on with Reggie. Um, but yeah, so I like to have those conversations beforehand as much as possible. Sometimes um, and sometimes it's being aware of like trying to listen for when they're just saying what you think they want you to say <laughs> or what they think you want them to say. Um, but I, I just try to be as honest with them as possible and hope for, I hope that I can get that honesty. So that brings up an interesting point, you know, trying to does that mean that at least emotionally sometimes you feel like you're going there with them? that you're at least trying to be in the moment with them. So you're kind of feeling what they're feeling and realizing when they have it or not, you know, cause sometimes I feel like the actors know better than we do, you know, how was the take? Right. And yeah. so do you feel that you try to, you know, somewhat be there with them and have a, a better feel for kind of how the scene's going or. I, f I feel like, um, I feel like I've already gone there when, especially when I'm writing it. Like I feel like I've already mm. been to that moment. Um, I also think directing is this thing where um, it's elevated a little bit too high, in that uh, it really is, you know, whatever the percentage is, seventy, eighty percent of directing is casting, and actors have this like it's magic man like i i cannot do that like if if there is if there is uh, a lens in front of me i i can't do it i'm the worst person to be on in front of a camera uh but um yeah so i i think so much of it is finding the right people that ha that sparked something in their audition or in your relationship you know they can go there and more often than not, I'm sitting there like blown away, but I like there's this magic that happens that they like take this thing that I've written or just that has been written by someone and they just it comes alive and they add something to it with their face, with their eyes, with their like movement. Um, yeah, so I, I think oh. I've already gone there throughout the process. It's fun. Sorry, did you redo? Yeah, I was like, I like it. It's fun. Um, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I, I think I've gone there throughout the process of figuring out what the emotions are on that scene and then um, trying to have that conversation with them. Um, so you mentioned something with auditions. Um, you know, you say auditions are really important. Do you, do you find yourself doing a mixture of on tape? Do you like to be there in person or do you have a casting director do it? And then you're kind of divulging what they're bringing to you. Is it a mixture of all of it? You know, what do you prefer? Yeah, this, um, this spot, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm doing this spot at the end of the month. It's a, a big regional spot. And this process was fantastic throughout it. I can't talk about what the actual spot was, but we had a casting director from Orlando who, uh, there was a large, there was 14 roles in this thing. So, uh, the casting director was able to put together this fantastic, uh, they, they taped all of the first round of auditions. So they, you know, got our, our breakdowns, everything they wanted. They got, they got, as I want to say like eight or so options for each person, which they got to, I don't know how they did it within like three days. They got all of these self tapes and they're like in groups together and, uh, sent us this amazing, like just link website thing with all these options you can sort by character or day or whatever. Um, and then we had callbacks yesterday. So we selected three, I think for, of each of those, um, for each character. And then we had callbacks yesterday. 
Um, and yeah, I, auditions are like the worst process for any of this to actually happen. Like it's, it's so quick. You got to get there in that moment. There's no connection. They have such a little understanding about the actual material specifically. And even in a video audition, you know, in, in self tapes, it's just, uh, a lot of times, um, and I've, I've talked to my actor friends and they're like, yeah, sometimes we just get like the line, like that's it. Like we get no, we just got to make a decision. Like, right. am I going to, is this funny? Is this serious? Like we just got to do with what are, that's, that's crazy to me. Like, why would you not want to give more information to your act to, you know, to like, to give them something, to give them at least the, the, uh, structure to make a decision on that will help you. So, um, yeah, so I, I love and hate the process at the same time, but again, it's such a gut thing on whether they nail exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, is not really as important to me as do they make an interesting choice and are they able to make changes based on notes that I give them. Those, those I think, are the three things. The, the, do they make interesting decisions? Uh, can they make adjustments? Like, are they listening? They're listening to me. <laughs> we, we talked to, an act, bit... we talked to our, our actor friend Justin yesterday and he literally said the same thing. He's like, yeah. listen in auditions. So Yeah, it's... And, and that's a, that's a big thing of the believability on camera too, is, um, are you listening to your act, you know, to your partner, your acting partner? Are you listening in that scene or are you just waiting to say your line? Right. I feel like that is, is a big defining thing for in the, in the acting process. And then on the set, on that day, we'll take the, t you know, we'll get there or we'll talk before or, you know, and it, again, some, some things are more intimate and emotional or, um, specific, even specific. And some things are just, it's not as you don't need to go anywhere really, <laughs> like, right. you know, like it's just for fun. Right. So post wise, I mean, like, so a lot of times, you know, we'll, every time you talk to a director, it's about auditioning. It's about on set. It's about all the stuff we've talked about, but post wise, I mean, how do you, do you cut? Do you work with an editor? Um, so far I ha I've edited all my own stuff. Okay. Um, there are times, uh, I, f I feel about editing. I feel the same way as about writing. Like I hate, I love it and I hate it, man. It's like, um, I hate the, I, there's, there's always a, every time I'm editing, I'm like, man, this thing sucks. You know, <laughs> like until, until I find that moment, I'm just like, oh, we didn't get what we needed or, or, um, you know, it's not cutting together, but then you just got to keep working at it, keep moving the puzzle around. Um, unless it's a thing that I did specifically, uh, you know, like do an animatic for and get the timing down exactly. Um, there was a spot uh, we did over um, in December that I was a 30 second thing that I knew it was very quick. It was a lot of specific shit, like each line had a different shot and I wanted it to, to fit exactly. So I did the storyboards and then cut that together with uh, just a scratch track of the audio, making it um, just so I knew the timing. So that cut together much easier than uh, if it if you're just kind of trying to find it in the edit. But there's always a moment where, um, like it 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 works and uh, and man, that's that's a good feel. I I do I love having edited. I love having written. <laughs> but the like. Is there a the reason? Is there, is there a reason why you cut yourself? Is that just kind of how you started, so you continue to do it? Or yeah, I f well, I feel like it's it's a big so so on one level there was no uh, budget. You know the the budget starting off like I didn't have any budget to hire anyone else, and then 
I'm pretty good at editing. So I, there, then it got to the point where um, even if I I couldn't I didn't find anyone that was like, wow, they're they're worth that money. They I know they would do something that I can't do, you know, so so it was like a uh, practical thing of like, I'm going to do it even if I even if I don't feel like doing it, I'm going to do it because it doesn't make sense to pay anyone when I can do it myself. And yeah. And you'd probably be there a lot anyways. So right. right. Did and you then, cut the feature? Uh, I did. Okay. I cut the feature. I do. I do wish. I'd spend a little money at the end and had someone had like another editor take a pass at it. I feel like that would have tightened it up just the right amount. Um, But I mean, we're, we, we personally paid for like half. There was like our production budget was 55,000 and then, um, which is what we actually shot it for. And then everything with that, we raised through fundraising, through crowdfunding, through a couple of, um, big donations and then the all post-production money was out of our pocket. So, gotcha. um, with, and with, you'd think like I edited it myself, so it wasn't that much, but it was just as much like it, we doubled our production budget from post with festival and marketing things and music. Music was, you know, yep. 30,000. <laughs> right. Just in that. So, um, yeah, so, so I, I wish I had spent the, a little bit of extra money there. So a couple of things to unpack with that. Like the fundraising side of it, yeah. you know, I'm guessing that's like Kickstarter or. Yeah, we actually, it was a, we did three campaigns total. Uh, first one was with Kickstarter, but, but we set our goal too high. We did not reach that goal. And, and it was an all or, it's an it was all or, an all or nothing. nothing. Kickstarter is all or nothing. So, I mean, my first advice is to not do Kickstarter uh, for crowdfunding campaigns just because it, I don't think the benefit of the like, well, Crowdfunding is like really, really hard now. Anyway, I mine was like four years ago already. Um, and it's just so like everyone has it's saturated and <laughs> yeah, hard. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, we did a crowdfunding. I want to say in 2013, 2012, and we raised ten grand. And I can't imagine doing it now. Yeah. So, so I would say. Uh, so and then we so we failed that, but we did a we ran. Like as soon as that happened, we did another quick one on Kickstarter uh, for uh, our goal was like seventy five thousand. We actually got to like thirty thirty five thousand, I think, but it was all or nothing, so we got nothing. So then we did a quick one uh, just to like try to get the, keep that energy from the people that donated, and we ended up with like twenty, I mm-hmm. think, from that from that one. And then um, then we had a couple of really big, amazing donations uh, from individuals. And then we did a, uh, after, and that was just enough to shoot it. We, you know, we went that route of like, we have money, let's shoot it, let's get it in the can. And then uh, during post-product, like as soon as we wrapped, we launched a, a Seed and Spark campaign, which is, you know, specifically for indie film. And their deal is if you get to 80% of your goal, you get greenlit and you get the money. Nice. Uh, so um, that was certainly better. And we knew that we would get, so we, we just did that for a little we called it finishing cost. It wasn't certainly enough, but it was more. I I don't remember what we landed on with that, but so thirty thousand for music was that just all sync licensing, or was that also like the score composer? It was. It was a combination. Mm-hmm. So um, we had our composer uh, Christian Frenzen, who uh, who I met through Musicbed. 
um, all of the actual songs that we licensed, we we used Musicbed for, um, which I've I've used them for years for almost every project I've done. I've used Musicbed for their their stuff is so good, um, and they're affordable. And by the way, their licensing, they're like. Uh, membership thing oh, is yeah. amazing their subscription that's amazing like a thousand dollars for a year or a hundred up hundred bucks a month for works for most small businesses that are paid advertising up to 25 stuff thousand online it's awesome um but yeah so it was a combination of original score and licensing yeah, yeah. To, we also we also kind of doubled on some of it because i found songs i absolutely loved that we were able to license for the festival runs uh, but we just couldn't license them for the actual release of like it was too expensive. Would have, yeah, yeah. would have been probably more than our whole budget. So I, I want to kind of dive down um, the music rabbit hole because sure. one of the things that you said when we first started the podcast or this episode, you you had mentioned how critical just oh it's, sounds it's are. everything, man. It's everything. So how how do you go about finding music? Um, you know. Doing the doing the audio mixes, like what's what's your process? What's your how do you think through that? Um, I f- I feel like every single thing is so different. There there have been some things that there have been some like music videos I've done that like I heard the song, I heard a song and I knew right then I knew what it was going to be. I I saw it. Are you using crazy. a temp track when you cut? Uh, I did for the feature. And I do not ever want to do that again <laughs> because it was such a bad, bad idea. Um, it's so I, I feel like everyone I feel like it's doing everyone a disservice, like your composer. It's it's chopping their legs off from under them um, unless you unless it's something like you think you can license or whatever. It's right. it's really hard. But but it's hard, too, because. Um, well, there's, there's this thing where, like, you know, when you're editing, um, you know, music can often save a scene or save a moment, but it works. It's best when the thing works without the music, you know, like if, if you're moving people without the music and then you add a track to it, then Holy cow, that's, that's going to be good. But, um, it's when you're, when you're relying on the music to kind of save the moment, I feel, I mean, it's, it's different for, you know, like horror or thriller, whatever, like sound design is such an important part of an intention from the beginning or, you know, things like a quiet place where like the lack of sound is crucial. And that's the tense. Um, one of my, one of my favorite moments of that, not from that movie, but of silence was, um, and I don't remember much. Oh my gosh. I can't even remember the movie. It was a baseball movie (laughs) with, um, it wasn't trouble with the curve. It was the oh, it was a uh, Moneyball, I think. Moneyball. There was this. There was this scene where like, um, there was one of the most amazing uses of silence I had had. It was something about something bad had happened, I'm sure. And he was listening to the radio and then just turned off the radio. Like they were talking about the situation or whatever. And here turns off the radio and just silent. Like, man, there was like this emotional thing with silence. It was really cool. So one thing that you said, you know, early on that I want to get back to was when you sold the company that you were making the short films with, um, as someone that has sold companies myself and then, you know, other filmmakers will probably run into that at some point in their career. How was that process for you? Um, what was it like going through it? And are there any takeaways that you have afterwards that you're kind of like, I wish I would have done that differently or, um, 
you know, kind of, you know, handled it differently? Uh, yeah. So the, I mean, the entire process was faster and smoother than I would have anticipated. And I mm. feel like anyone I've talked to and told them the story about how it happened, they're like, holy cow, that never happens. Um, so, uh, and, and I feel like it was, it was a very unique situation. So we, we didn't sell the LLC, we sold the library and the website. So we sold like the assets and the content. Gotcha. So, um, the, the company we sold it to was the company that was owned one of the distribution websites that we were selling on. So like we, we had our own website, journeyboxmedia.com. Uh, but then we actually made most of our money selling on other websites that were basically distributors had took from all these producers and pastors or communicators would know they could go to this website and search all of the, you know, all of the producers, all the content. So it was a, you know, I, I had had a relationship with them since we started. That's, you know, I was selling on their websites before I even launched my own. Um, and it was a, uh, just kind of a, a random, probably like a year, eight months to a year before we decided to do it. Um, I already knew I was moving, like in my mind, I was like, I, I knew I wanted to focus on the directing and I was kind of had, uh, I felt like that was a good time to move on to a different stage of my life. Like that, that chapter was done. I felt like I was, I had done what I could in that, in that world. So, uh, I had an, a conversation with, uh, with the rep, with my rep friend that worked there and, um, they're like, yeah, actually that might be something we were interested in. And then, uh, we were like, all right, well, let's, let's approach, you know, let's think about it. I was also, it was a, uh, it was a mental health decision for me to actually sell it because between the movie between that, because that would, that's what was bringing in income for our family. It was also having like, we were using that money to pay back the part out of our pocket that we you know, from the movie, from the feature. And so there, I felt like there were like three families that this one thing was trying to keep, you know, keep going, keep me afloat. And I was not sleeping. I was not making things like I was, I was not creatively in a good spot. I was not sleeping at all. Um, and so the decision to sell that company and change this part of my life was like one of, there was that I started meditating and I started getting therapy and those three things together, like I could sleep. Uh, so when we when I finally made the decision, then there, then there was a a month or so of the you know we had to get our our content together, our um, numbers together, our you know the past three I think years of our income. We had to fill, you know send them our tax returns and give them a profit loss and all that all that stuff. Um, and then they took some time to create like a, what they thought the business is worth what based on what it made the past couple of years uh and and going forward in the future and then we um just had that conversation they gave us a number and we had negotiated a little bit like not much um and i also i had a partner um in journey box and so it was like between the two of us we made the decision that this was um this was you know it would financially viable for us to do it so i want to say it was two or three months from the like, yes, let's, let's explore this. Let's get a value on it to, uh, three, maybe four months later when we signed, um, the, the biggest challenge for me, uh, was all the, uh, music licensing <laughs> for all these songs and making up uh, for all these projects and making sure they were transferable. That, that was like 
the thing that basically I worked a month on for these 125 short films. Most of them were through music beds, so that was helpful. That was easy. Uh, but there were a few that I had done individual projects with the artist or um, custom things or like pretty big so like I, um, you know, I had some with some bigger uh, names and with record labels. So I had to like negotiate those individually and make sure that their, pro their like the licenses would transfer to a, a, another person. So, and they, you know, they had their legal people who wanted it. Like they wanted everything worldwide, all media worldwide. Like they wanted to make sure they were clear to do whatever they want. Uh, and so we had to find a happy medium that it made sense. And, um, so, so most of it, like the paperwork on all that end was, uh, up to date, but there was a lot of them where I had to kind of get, so the get ones that together. you had to like with the record labels, the ones that you had to do, deal with there, was it a renegotiation process? I mean, did you have to pay more out or did it just, were they just amicable with, yes, this will be transferable based on what's being set forth? Yeah. So most of them, um, most of them were able to be trans. We a lot of them we were doing a like as we sold this many units, then we'd make another payment to them. So gotcha. it was royalty based. Um, so they were they were fine with that. Um, most of those went through. I'm trying to think of if there was any specific. Um, some of them were just like they were more obscure artists and getting in touch with them, or their representation had changed, or mm. um, so getting in touch with the right people. And that can be um, hard enough to begin with. Yeah, right. And so, and some of these were like they were. Some of them were like, "I want this song," and I fought really hard to get to get that song to be able to license for the thing. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a lot. It was it was just reminiscent of that hustle early on when I didn't know really even what I was doing about. I just knew I wanted to find this license. I wanted to get this license, and I was, you know. Uh, learning everything as I went. Um, so it was revisiting that of like, you can't, they're busy. They're dealing with, you know, people who actually have a lot of money, right. <laughs> you know, that, that my little licensing thing that I did, there was almost a favor to begin with. And now I'm coming back, like asking for another change to it. So, um, yeah, but that, that was the, that was the most, um, tedious portion of the whole thing. And then of course, you know, just making sure, the all the collecting all the files and they uh, when they bought it they they got all the footage as well so trying to compile all those projects which I there were there were maybe out of 125 there were maybe like 10 that some I had either lost the footage for or whatever but I had most of them I had all the original footage and I mean I doubt they'll ever do anything with that stuff they don't make things they just sell things so um, we'll see but a big thing that I, was important to me that I haven't utilized yet but um, I, as part of that negotiation deal, I, I wanted to make sure that I was able to still use that footage and those videos as however I wanted. So, um, so I was able to work out that I can still, if, if I had a client that footage I already had could work for, like I could edit something together for them. Uh, with that, I could still make money by selling an edited thing based on footage I already sold, even though they already own the. So the, now they own the footage. Essentially, the footage is like your own stock library for your projects. Yeah, which I don't like. Most of it is so specific that I won't use it. But I, I knew, for one, I just needed to make sure I could use everything on my and that I wanted to for my reel and on my website, but also just to have that ability that, like, you know, if if. 
All it takes is I, one shot that yeah. you're like, oh my god, I need like, that. I need the, that thing. The, you well, know. and just mark self marketing and everything else as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the commercial we did, like the guy was painting a wall. Like, imagine if that one shot is right. just perfect. I mean, yeah. you're like, oh, well, I, there's no dialogue, so you're not going to have any conflict there. But you have your own stock library essentially for your projects. But yeah, the the real and the website stuff is is critical. Yeah, and and back to the actual like selling of. Of it, I feel like it was such a specific thing that uh, I don't think that I'll ever have that experience again. And like, I don't think that if that business wasn't in the position to, I mean, they're, they're the company that owns the main website that sold it, like, is a huge company. So I don't think uh, there were, it was so specific. I don't know that there were any other like potential buyers, you know? So I don't, I, I completely know that we got lucky right place right time no, i mean not when you lucky also simplified we, it a little bit by just selling the library and not doing right. a whole company so yeah so then we just had to we did the li library and then we closed out the llc like at right. the end of that calendar year and had attorney file all those paperwork sure all that paperwork and stuff gotcha so where where does that leave you now i mean you're, you're clearly a director writer but what's what's in the horizon for the rest of 2020 any any cool projects i you know, I know you can't talk about any of you know most of them. <laughs> I, I completely understand yeah. that, but no, it's it's real. Like I, I am um, f uh, available as a freelance director. You know, so um, that's been uh, building relationships with people here locally in Tampa, production companies here, Orlando. Um, I have a few production companies that I'm uh, building relationships with in, in Nashville that. You know, when they get a job that I think is right for me, they'll put my name, put my name in the mix for that. So um, it's a lot of which is interesting for me for the past two years has really been um, learning more of the actual of the industry that makes money at, you know, instead of just being isolated in my own little filmmaking thing um, is meeting the the people, the players, finding out what production companies are, you know, doing the work that I want to do. I mean, there's a lot of production companies. Uh, there's even in a market like Tampa, there's a lot of production companies there. And so doing the research to find the companies that like, I really like what their, their, the kind of work they do. It's important for me. Like I said, that like things are move, have some emotional thing behind it. So, um, I mean, while I would take a job, you know, doing something just, uh, I mean, I, there's always a place for silly and fun or whatever, but like, while I would take, most jobs, the ones that really connect with me are the ones that have either a purpose or we can build some empathy into it or are the more on the more emotional uh, moving side with throwing in a I mean, I think comedy is always important. So even if it's even if it's like a just a, a release of emotional tension is just helpful for even within a 30 second thing, I think it's, it's possible to hit that in there. Um, so, yeah, so I'm doing a, a spot for a, a regional spot coming at the end of the night at the end of the month um that's a two-day two-day overnight shoot um and then i have a couple other projects in the works but yeah all right well uh, kevin um kevin to kevin uh, I, I do appreciate <laughs> you coming on um a lot of good insight i mean and the biggest thing is i think uh any writer director producer needs to understand there's more than just writing just directing just producing i mean you have music licensing you have um you know that that was obviously a big point of 
uh, of our talk here, um, which I'm happy we went down that rabbit hole because most people don't realize that the, the licensing, it, it costs a lot of money and people just think that they can just get anything off of like YouTube or, um, um, yeah, shouldn't yeah. do that. No, it's <laughs> definitely not, not, not okay. No. And did you go to film school? I did not. And, uh, so for a long time, that was a, uh, a big issue for me personally, like feeling like, um, that the way I'm doing things aren't exactly the, there's the right way to do, you know, not having that experience of being on film sets uh, or just being in film school. Um, but I think that's what's helped create, you know, that's, that's who I am. You that's, found your own voice. Right. Right. And so, sure. um, yeah, like if I, if I had a, I had a friend whose uh, son is about to go to, go to film school and I was like, man, do I was like, take the money you would have sent him to film school and like send him to LA and like get on set in LA or wherever, whatever city you're in. But like take that money, move to LA or New York. I mean, I would just say LA because that's where, although not right now because the virus and all, everything's (laughs) shut down. But, um, but yeah, move to LA, take that money instead of going to film school and just get on set and get that experience. Um, That's what I would, if my kid was interested in that, I would, Highly encourage them right. <laughs> to do to do that. Um, of course, they have to make up their own mind. But yeah, um, sure. I mean, that's coming from someone who didn't go to film school. Um, I, I mean, I would be eerily close to that. I would say either start getting on set and work your way up, or take that money and make a film with it and learn by making something. Yeah, I mean, which you're going to do there anyways, and instead you'll have more money to make a better film with it and actually hire professionals. You know, so I I was when I, when we made the feature. Looking back on it, I was highly unprepared to make that feature. Like I had no business. But you learned a lot making a feature. I learned a ton, and I'm incredibly proud of it. I mean, there's, but but just like my experience level of where I was at, (laughs) I had no business making a feature film. um, That I guess I would say I had no business making a feature film that I thought was going to be commercially viable. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, everyone can make a feature, and you know, my other advice would be as cheap, do it as cheaply as you possibly can. You know, when we were first trying to raise money for that. We were like talking about like $250,000 budgets and I'm so glad we did not, uh, we just got turned down for all that money <laughs> that didn't exist anyway. But, um, because yeah, especially for your first one, even your second one, like just do it as cheaply as possible. Um, and it's a beast of a project, but, uh, it's, you learn so much yeah. throughout about the whole process, about working with people. Um, Yeah. So on the socials, where can they find you? Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Kevin O'Brien Film or Films. I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's Film. Uh, Kevin o- at Kevin O'Brien Film, uh, and that's my website, Kevin O'Brien dot Film. Um, I have a Twitter, but I haven't used Twitter in long. That's too. Yeah, it's neither. too much. That's fine. Too much going on for <laughs> yeah. Uh, Instagram and a website. That's yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. Easy that's where I live. That's where um, I live. You know, once again, man, thanks so much for coming yeah, on man. and, yeah, and giving us me. a lot of good info. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Kevin, it's the end of the podcast. Josh, that means that everybody needs to stop what they're doing, write us a review, and subscribe for future episodes. Yeah, I mean, it would really help us out a lot. It helps us kind of get to the, you know, new and noteworthy section, top of the charts, help us get new people, new interesting and lovely film people on this podcast. Along with that, you can follow us on Instagram at FGI Podcast. And you can also check out more episodes and more information, more bios and information for all of our speakers at FGIPodcast.com. 
this podcast was also recorded live in front of a studio audience and we flew everyone out on Delta Airlines. No, but um, it was recorded live at Two Stories Media Studios and it's presented by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media.